Drysaddle off to McDavid. Back to Drysaddle. One timer. Score! And Drysaddle stays hot. Down low a dish. Drysaddle tucks it over from Yamamoto. Drysaddle has scored twice. Drysaddle shoots and scores. Hat trick. Leon Drysaddle. The third of his career. In front. Rich shot score. That's four for Leon Drysaddle. This guy's pretty good, this Drysaddle fellow. And we're going to wonder if that's the night that cemented Leon Dreisaitl as MVP, or did he do that a few weeks ago? We welcome you to another edition of Our Line Starts. Lee McHugh, Keith Jones in studio. Eddie Ulrich's going to join us by phone in just a second, which is lucky for him because he doesn't have to sit in these chairs, which I still have not yeah, figured out how to sit in. Yeah, they're not the most comfortable chairs in the world, but, uh, you know. It is what it is. Way to tough it out. Yeah, we'll get through it. All right, here's what's on tap today. We're going to talk about Leon Dreisaitl. Right now, running away with the NHL points lead. The question is, is he running away with the Hart Trophy race? Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. What exactly is wrong with this team that has lost six straight? They have not picked up a single point during that skid. And then, of course, the latest from the NHL general managers' meetings. One potential interesting change, one rule that is not going anywhere I'm happy about. We'll also have a conversation with Blackhawks GM Stan Bowman. He's being interviewed by Pierre Maguire. This took place last week just after the trade deadline. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. But now we welcome in the man himself. Edzo, how are you, my friend? Hey, what's up, Liam Jonesy? Nice to be with you, boys. It's good to have you, buddy. Let's just talk about (laughs) Leon Dreisaitl. Four goals last night, five-point performance, running away with the points lead right now. He's actually in the Rocket Richard conversation all of a sudden. Clear cut in your mind, Edzo, Dreisaitl, the MVP of the season? Yeah, right now I'd have to say so, Liam. Now, he got a little help there last night from Pecorine. Uh, that's a whole other story with uh, the lack of goaltending that uh, Nashville has gotten all year, and that's why they're a bubble team. But, you know, look, I mean, the guy has been – consistent he was consistent when uh mcdavid was out and you'll see what he did last night uh, to put up a four spot in nashville and a and a thumping of the national predators so i mean look at it i mean this guy's a two-way player uh he's got incredible hockey sense and it goes along with that great skill so Yes, I don't think there's any doubt and look i mean if he leads the league in scoring and he leads the league in goals uh, it's a no-brainer. Um, but I just think with the way that Edmonton has played, looking like they're going to make the playoffs, certainly that plays into it as well. So, yes, I think he is uh, I think he is clear-cut right now as long as he can, you know, maintain a point, a game uh, pace here the rest of the season. Yeah, I think it's his, I think it's his to lose from here on in. Yes. I, I agree with you, Ed. So I think he's just had a phenomenal season. I think we saw signs of it happening last year, and I think some of that you put to uh, give credit to Connor McDavid playing with Dreisaitl for a lot of last season and a lot of the early going this season, but that's not the case. And I think it became really clear when McDavid was out with injury and Dreisaitl yeah. took off again. That's that's the one thing that really allowed me to separate uh, 
title from McDavid and make him the, the MVP in the National Hockey League this year. Most importantly, Edmonton's playing better. And they not only look like a playoff team, they look like a dangerous team when the playoffs roll around. And so much of it has to do with how how much Dreisaitl has become a superstar in the game. And like most superstars, he works on his game. He's faster than he was when he entered the National Hockey League. He's better on face-offs than he was. He's doing all the little things that made Crosby, you know, the best player in the game over the last couple of decades. Uh, it's that type of work ethic that I think is going to lead Dreisaitl to many more opportunities to win the MVP as well. Edzo, you agree with that? Do you think this is a dangerous team come playoff time? I know they can do it offensively. That They've shown that all year and they're showing it right now do you think they play the type of style that can be successful in the postseason uh i don't know look at i guess if you if you have the puck all the time that's the best defense in the world and you can speak to that uh as far as your coverage uh on sunday night football there liam right like i mean that's the best defense in the world is when the offense can hold on to the ball and dictate no doubt and and kill the clock every once in a while. And it's no different in hockey. Like, if you have the puck all the time, that's the best defense in the world. Now, like, I don't think that they're – I don't think they're a playoff-ready defensive team. But as you guys know, I mean, the rink gets a little smaller come playoff time. And, you know, guys are amped up a little bit. You're on your toes. You Maybe you're not trying to, uh, you know, play as aggressive. And, you know, maybe that ends up being a good thing. Look, Dave Tippett's always been a very good coach – uh, in our league for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, the goaltending has been relatively consistent all season long. Uh, I think they are a playoff-ready team. I don't know if they can get it done defensively when really push comes to shove. And, again, matchups become such an important part, and we're going to talk a lot about it, and I know you guys will as well in studio. But, you know, just being on site, uh, you know, look at being in Washington tomorrow for Flyers, Rangers, or excuse me, for Flyers and Capitals, I mean, you know, those teams matching up, you look at it and go, man, oh, man, this would be a hell of a seven-game series come playoff time because of the goaltending, because of the mobility on the back end, the physical presence in different parts of the on both teams, and then you got guys that can make plays and put the puck in the back of the net. So for Edmonton, you know, matchups, I think matchups will matter. Uh, they always do come playoff time and uh, be interesting, but that's the only question mark I would have, uh, Liam, is yep. – is, you know, can they defend enough? I, I'm not sold that they can, but maybe they have the puck enough and uh, maybe that's all you need. And maybe they have the mindset, look, you know, we, we know we're going to give up four or five, but, you know, we're going to be able to score six and seven with the guys that we have and the depth we have up and down the lineup. See, I, I agree with Edzo on all that. The one thing that stands out to me is if I'm an opposition coach and I'm playing the Edmonton Oilers in the first round, I'm working as hard as I possibly can to find solutions to slow down two superstar players that aren't playing on the same line right now. I don't I don't think there's a team that you would prepare more for than the Edmonton Oilers because they're unique. And McDavid's a unique talent, an all-world talent. Dreisaitl is now proving that he is as well. And then Kenny Holland went and added some pretty good pieces around. I mean, they're not star players, but... 
That's the best that you could do right now based upon where the Edmonton Oilers are. He added some NHL talent to give him some depth around and Tyler Ennis and Andre Athanasiu. Green, of course, is hurt right now. But the Edmonton Oilers all of a sudden look like a team that could cause you some issues if you had to go out against them in the first round. And you wouldn't be jumping up and down with the fact that you were playing Edmonton. Those additions are interesting to me as well because I think just from a psychological standpoint, it's good to know that your team is adding someone to the deadline, that they feel like this is a team that can be a force in the playoffs. So we're adding at this point, and we'll see what we can do. But I I think we're now, we've seen enough of some of the new players in new places. We're a week out from the trade deadline. As you take it in and you look at what these teams are now after the moves they made, is there a team that stands out to either one of you guys, John, I'll start with you, who you feel like, wow, they've really set themselves up for the postseason with the moves that they made? I, I like some of the subtle moves that the Tampa Bay Lightning made, and I think a lot of them have to do with what happened last year when they were swept in the first round, and as well as they had played over a, a, about a 20-game stretch leading up to the All-Star break, they still felt the desire to go out and add a couple of pieces is Barkley Gaudreau, I think, is a very good piece, and they paid a high price sure for did. him. First round. I mean, this is not a player that jumped off the page as a player that you would go out and give a first-round pick for at the trade deadline, but good for San Jose to pick up a first-rounder for him, and also good for Barkley Gaudreau to become a valuable piece of the and puzzle. And if you're Tampa Bay right now, you're really worried about that first-round pick? No, you're not. I mean, It's going to be 28th, 30th. You know, if they play to their expectations, it could yeah. be 31st. So I, I do believe that Tampa and the addition of Blake Coleman, also a player that provides a different element than what they had in the lineup so they've been uh, eyeing a return to the playoffs and this time a long run in the playoffs uh, compared to what happened last year which was a disaster so I like what Tampa did. Edzo? Yeah I I like the Coleman pickup a lot Jonesy I agree with him Liam I I, I think Coleman's going to be a sneaky good player because he can really skate I think he's an underrated penalty killer I guarantee you, come playoff time, he, he's gonna he's gonna get a big goal when his team is shorthanded. He just has that knack. He's one of those guys, Jonesy, where when he's killing penalties, like the puck just finds this guy, and he can. I don't want to say he's got the speed of Michael Grabner, but he thinks the game, so he can be. He looks maybe even quicker than he is, and you know he's gonna score a big goal for him. Uh, I, I agree with Tampa, but I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to Vegas. I, I think the addition of uh, Alec Martinez. And Robin Leonard, to me, mm-hmm. uh, sends a pretty darn strong message uh, inside that locker room. And, Leon, uh, and Liam, you touched on it with, with Drysaddle and McDavid, the message that Kenny Holland sent, you know, inside that dressing room, Jonesy, that, you know, hey, like, you know, we're, we're adding here. We believe that we can get into the playoffs and we're going to give you a little bit of help. We're not going to mortgage the future. But I like what Vegas has done here. I, you know, the goaltending all year pretty much has been – Average at best in Vegas. And now you got a little bit of competition for Mark andre Fleury and Robin Leonard, who I got a chance to see a lot in Chicago this year. And I, and I thought he was all-star worthy, guys. I, Jonesy, I don't know what you think, but the way that he played, like he gave his team for the most part a chance to win and won probably three or four games for the Blackhawks. Um, I, I like that pickup a lot. I, I really do. And then Martinez is a proven winner couple of cups, uh, cup-clinching goal, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Did, yeah, against the uh, Rangers. Yep. So, yeah, look at I Mark Stone, to me, I, I know I'm just kind of going off here a little bit, but if anybody watches the game, I would encourage them to, 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 to watch Mark Stone as often as you can and see the, 
the unbelievable little things this guy does. Like he's not a he's not a pretty player by any stretch when you look at him how fast he is or you know maybe how he how he goes about his craft and I know he's banged up right now. Yep. But like this, this guy I mean what I'm gonna say might maybe take people by surprise, but I would argue right now that Mark Stone's a top five player in the NHL. Like like he he is so good with the offensive part of the game, but he is so good without the puck. He steals pucks. He he gets back in plays. He plays power play. He plays penalty kill. He makes play. He makes other players around him better. And I just I like what Vegas did here. I, I think Vegas. I think the West is absolutely wide open. Roll the octagon down the street and say, <laughs> Yeah, okay, that name pops up at the top, and go, Yeah, I can make a case for that team. I think Vegas when they're when they're there, I think they're as good as St. Louis and Colorado uh, in the Western Conference. And who knows what the matchups are going to be, and we talked about that a little earlier. But I think Vegas, I, I like what they did. They're aggressive. They're going for it. Uh, but I think a guy like Mark Stone, uh, to me, is, is – I, I, I think he's still underrated, Jonesy, in the league. Like, I think he's that good. And I, don't I mean, think I think that's, that's a big statement. You, I mean, top five in the league. No, it, and yeah, and, I, mean, and look, I get it because he does a ask, lot. But, but – then you really have to look That's at the next couple of weeks. Guys. He has They're to be top, healthy for this top team. Five man. players in the league. I don't know if Mark Stone would be on anybody's list. I don't. He'd be on my list for sure. You know, Jonesy. I don't know what you think about Mark Stone. I, I love him as a player, and I think Vegas rewarded him with that huge contract when they signed him. So I don't. I don't think it was lost on them how important they felt that he would be. So. Hopefully right. for Vegas, they tread water without him. Yep. I mean, he's an extremely yeah. valuable player, and hopefully he's 100% healthy when the playoffs roll around. This time of year, you're, you've got some guys that are going to try to play through things. So they are in a position right now where they can shut him down for a while. But come playoff time, they're going to need him in round number one. And if you look at the three three teams in the Central Division, we're talking trade deadline, the top three th- teams really didn't do a whole lot. St. Louis nope. stood pat and are waiting for Tarasenko to return. So you could count that as an incredibly valuable addition after the trade deadline. Dallas stayed the same. I mean, they made no changes, and I don't blame them. I'm actually very pleased that they did not. They have enough players within that have played extremely well, and uh, they're going to put some fear in teams. Uh, Nashville made trades before the deadline rolled around, Mm -hmm. and the Central Division still, to me, is one of the toughest divisions to try to Colorado added some depth. Colorado had a little bit of depth, but didn't do a whole lot either. You know, and there was people screaming out that they needed to add a goaltender. You know, they stood, you know, relatively quiet in that regard. Hutchinson did play last night and picked up a win, but those three teams all look extremely dangerous and it's in the west it is as edzo said wide open so good for vegas to go out and add a couple more pieces and back to stone week to week expected to return by the end of the season maybe a little bit earlier but i mean it would be huge for vegas obviously if he comes back he's 100 percent. if he could get a game or two also before the playoffs that would be massive for them uh, especially when you know now how important edzo certainly thinks he is and obviously vegas thinks he's very important that's why they gave him all that money so uh, we'll look out for him in that division, which has been so tight throughout. And it seems like if you have a good week or a bad week, you're in first place or maybe you're out of the playoffs. But they seem to have taken control of it. Obviously, other big topic right now in the NHL is general managers meeting, meetings being held down south. And right at the top of this has become something that has not been at the top of the list simply because of what happened with David Ayers. Uh, here's a guy who's arguably the greatest story the last few weeks of hockey, one of the coolest sports stories of, I would have to say, the last year, easily, a emergency backup 
goaltender who comes to the game. The guy who drives the Zamboni on the practice ring for the Toronto Maple Leafs comes in against this team for Carolina. Makes seven stops after in the third period. This after giving up goals on the first two shots he faced. Rob Brindamore shaking his head, going, I can't believe this. He's a hero. Carolina wins. Toronto loses. David Ayers goes on a whole tour. He joined us on our coverage. He was on the Today Show. Uh, it couldn't have been better. Uh, you know, pure joy, an amazing story. And then what happens right after that? People start to wonder, hey, this was a great story. We really enjoyed this. Maybe the NHL shouldn't do this. Maybe this is just one of those quirky rules that they should get rid of. And now we know they have no appetite at mm. this point to get rid of this. Good. And I think that's a good thing. To me, the only thing that sort of reaches out, and I know it's such a long shot from happening, is the simple fact that he is the emergency backup goaltender for the arena. That means for both teams. Mm -hmm. That means if both teams needs an emergency backup goaltender, one team basically doesn't have one and now has to make do and has to figure something out. Outside of that, I am very happy that they're not changing anything. And the good side of this is if, if in fact, let's say Carolina, after the third shot got past them, figured out, man, this guy's not even trying for us. We got a problem sure. here. They do have an option of putting one of their own players in net. They do have options out there. They can remove him from the game if they like, and that's always been in place. Or they can play with six skaters. So, I mean, it's such a rare occasion that it happens yeah. that I'm glad that they're going to continue. These guys come to the ring and they're out there uh, getting ready and preparing and dreaming of an opportunity to jump out there, and it so rarely happens. I don't even I'm think he was dreaming there. anymore. He's 42 years yeah, old. I'm sure he thought this is never going to happen, Edzo. Yeah, I mean, look at I, I mean, I, I saw the Scott Foster game in person when it happened, and Chicago won. Carolina, David Ayers comes in. You guys well-documented. He comes in. They win the game. I think we get. I think it might be a different tone. Just my opinion. And look, at, if I was if I was on one of those teams, and a guy comes in and you lose, um, I, you know, I probably have a different different tone. And yeah, I'd probably be a sore loser and probably want to change it. I mean, look, full disclosure. But I mean, look, it, it's only it's only happened a couple of times in how many thousands of games, right? I I, I understand. But you know, maybe maybe you can massage the requirements right you know maybe there's an age maybe you can bump up their pay maybe the guy has to have played you know maybe competitive hockey in the last you know i don't know i'm just, I'm just throwing stuff out there you guys can tell me i'm full of it or whatever but uh, that, that's all look it it is a great story i got our game out there i mean for sure a hundred percent i mean geez i've been trying to get on the today show with my book that's out there and david Ayers gets on there and i mean you know so i'm a little i'm a little envious and jealous of that but you know, like, seriously, like, I think I'd like to see him massage it a little bit, but it's great for the game. Great, great for him. Live the dream. Carolina won. I'm sure the Maple Leafs are probably still a little sour. And, uh, hey, look, if he would have lost, and I know what ifs are, but if they lost and they lose, they miss the playoffs by sure. one point or something. And they're then, right there, know, and those points are valuable. And I get it. $12 million, $10 or $12 million decision. But they won. But, but they take, won. I know that. But so, let, let's take it a step further. Why didn't Carolina either sign Ayers to have him play goal now? They haven't won since he played. <laughs> a, fair, a, a fair question. Take a, tra- <laughs> take a trade for a goalie. 
Making a yeah, trade for a goalie probably would have been, been the right thing to do, especially now it's, that we know that Robert Leonard was moved. It's the amazing part of the whole story. The Maple Leafs were embarrassed at home. They lost to the Zamboni driver, and they have done nothing but win since. Their own and, crowd gives them a standing ovation. It, yeah, and now Carol and Carolina has lost ever since. If you watch that yeah. game, it was like yeah. there was, those two teams were on two different planets. And now all of a sudden it's all turned around. Florida can't win a game on the other side. Toronto's in the playoffs. And, and they paid a lot for their goalie, Florida. Exactly, so. yeah, they did. Probably overpaid if you look at it right now, the way he's performed. The other big story from the uh, general manager's meetings, they voted Tuesday in favor of changing the application of the offside rule to allow for players to be considered onside as long as one of their skates is above the vertical plane of the blue line, regardless if it is in contact with the ice, Edzo, you're on site. You call a bunch of these games, so you deal with this. What do you think of this tweak, potentially? I like it. I like it a lot. I do. I Look, at the more, more opportunity we have plays to continue, Liam, the better it's going to be for our fans, and it's going to better, better be for us to be able to talk about goals and, and not having to call them back because the guy, in the spirit of the rule, is, his leg is outside the zone, but it's not touching the ice. I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, you know, I, I'm good with it. I, I'm good if mm-hmm. they would, you know, have it, you know, like in football, you break the plane, it's a touchdown or whatever. You don't have to have a control, whatever. I, I'm good. I'm good with that. I mean, the one thing, and I and I've suggested this for a long time now, but like when just now, stay with me here. So when you're when you when you are entering the offensive zone. The puck must be completely over the blue line in, in order for the play to be onside. Now, when the puck is already in the offensive zone, in order for the puck to be, or in order for the play to be offside, the puck has to come completely outside the blue line. So what I'm saying is use the whole width of the blue line to make plays onside. So entering the zone, as soon as the puck hits the blue line, the play is onside. You gain 12 inches of yep. play in the offensive zone on the rush. And, it, you know, it hasn't – obviously it hasn't got any traction. I talked to some general managers. Some of them like it. Some of them have to think about it. But, again, that, that's just tweaking for down the road. So all I'm saying is extend the blue line that as soon as it hits it, regardless, it's onside. And I just would – like to see some consistency there i think there'd be more plays that would be easier for the officials to call but to answer your question i like the uh the spirit of the rule if your leg's up and as long as you're you're on side and it's up in the air let the play continue well that's one change that potentially uh, that you'd like to see i mean yeah, i'm curious good. like i mean with the uh, the idea that you have replay at your disposal is there something you would change about the replay situation in the nhl I, I I like the way it is. I like this change. I think it's an excellent one. I, I'm a big fan of fans being allowed to celebrate without without all of a sudden having to stop and go, oh my God, it's being reviewed and sure. we're going to have this turn back. In a league that we have proven that the quicker the games are played, it seems like people enjoy them more. I think we're way ahead of the curve compared to other leagues. So one less delay, I think, goes a long way as well. I think how quickly our games are ending, I think it's around two, two hours and 30 minutes, somewhere in there. It's faster than it's ever been. 
and it's a major advantage at a time when Major League Baseball takes forever and no one wants to sit through a game. I think we've got it right, and this is just another way to have the play continue. And secondly, we're promoting offense. Offense has proven to be much more interesting for fans, and this is another way to allow a goal to stand and continue to you know force more goals from the opposition who may be trailing at that point. I like the less is more idea, especially when it comes to scoring plays. Uh, what you don't want to see, and we've seen the NFL, is this sort of reduction in emotion right at the point where you should be celebrating because immediately in the back of your mind you're wondering is that going to count yeah, yeah. Y- you want to see a scoring play and you want to get excited or if you're rooting for the other team perhaps angry but either way it's an emotional experience and you want to continue hey liam, liam liam yes. liam can i just add something like on that i'm just again from from i know from my vantage point as a broadcaster and jones i know when you're doing games as well it's like the puck goes in the net and the first thing you're looking at is okay was the play on side uh, you know, was it touched by a high, like, you know what I mean? Like the mindset isn't into right away. It isn't for the most part. It isn't to break down the goal uh, and, and explain it to everybody and tell people why sometimes you're trying to be one step ahead and go, okay, well, was the out of, you know, was, was the player offside? You know, was there too many men on the ice? Did the puck hit the netting? All that kind of stuff is played into it. And I think that's where the, the, you know, the video replay and all the technology has come into the game and look at, look at, I, I, I love it. I think the league has been so proactive over the years of emphasizing more offense, and I think this is one way. So for what it's worth, it gets my stamp of approval. But from a broadcaster's point of view, yeah, you'd like to just worry about breaking down the goal and telling people why, but you also have to worry about, okay, you know, what's taking place in the prior, you know, 25 or 30 seconds to make you the know play. I, uh, I, I like that. I mean, I think – but also I think that's that's why we're, we're paying. You have to – you're looking at both those and you're doing that, but I think as a fan – your immediate right. response doesn't want to – you don't want it to be, oh, well, are they going to take a look at this yeah, 19 and times? that's the worst and, thing. Right? And, and, and I get that. If there was one tweak I'd make to replay, uh, we've talked about it a few times on the air, Jonesy, uh, it's simply for delay of game penalties because, to me, it's one of those that with replay, it's not a subjective call. You mm-hmm. just look at it. It either touched the glass, it did not, it deflected and went out. But usually – and, Edzo, you're there at games. Jonesy, you do a bunch of games as well. We usually, within a few looks, are able to very clearly determine that. And then you start getting into playoff games where it really matters. And, you know, defensemen are trying to clear yeah, that puck and trying to get out of it. I, I think it's a simple tweak that can yeah. make things a I lot I think clearer. it could be done quickly as well. And if there's no definitive, you know, look at it, then you go with the call that's made on the ice. So that, yeah. that would work. Because those penalties have proven to be really important ones. I can't tell you how many games we've watched that there's been a goal scored late in the third period that sent a game to overtime or a game-winning goal scored in a playoff game on those delay of game penalties. So that wouldn't be a bad tweak either. Are you with me, Edzo? Uh, Commissioner Bettman on line one for you, Liam. <laughs> Thank you. Make it happen. Have his people call my people. I'll have David Ayers' people call yours. Yeah, we'll get, we're you, get you on, get you on some of those show. morning shows. Maybe we'll do the late night circuit as well. <laughs> all right. We're in a good mood, so I'm going to bring us all down because we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, right now, six games kid for this team. They've been really miserable over the last couple because you remember when this thing started and I think four games into it they were still talking like there's nothing wrong we don't really have a problem then they lost five in a row and they said whoa there's something wrong we're playing differently this is not going well and Sidney Crosby just one point during that six game losing streak and these are all regulation losses for the Pittsburgh Penguins chief concern right now Edzo for you when it comes to Pittsburgh 
Well, I'll tell you what, I haven't seen a lot of their games the last couple the last couple here. I saw them play in Wash there where they had that lead going in the third period. I think it was last Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, or one of those days. And they played a pretty darn good road game, and then they just kind of fell apart in the third period. And I, I mean, I didn't see this coming, to be honest with you. Now, they've been banged up on the back end. You know, mm-hmm. I know I saw some stuff that Doomlet's getting pretty close to coming back, which is going to be obviously a big, big lift for them. I thought it was interesting, the moves that Jimmy Rutherford made. I I really did. I mean, Connor Sherry obviously has a history there. He scored some huge goals for the Penguins. Uh, You know, maybe he had to take Evan Rodriguez, who I think is a legit, you know, fourth-line extra guy. And then Patrick Marlowe, you know, I know veteran presence and whatever. But, I mean, he made a lot of changes. I I think the Penguins are better when that – when those third and fourth line guys are, you know, I know they're banged up a little bit. When a guy like Lafferty is playing or, you know, uh, you know, just guys that are role players that play quick, they play fast, you know, the Bluegers, all those guys, you know, that that's that's a Mike Sullivan team. So, I, I mean, they've made a lot of changes. I get it. Um, but uh, it'd be really interesting to see. Again, I don't, I, again, I haven't seen the goaltending in the last little while. That's interesting. Like, I, me and Bush talked about it on the broadcast. Maybe a couple of weeks ago, I think it was Super Bowl Sunday, actually, and I asked them, you know, between Washington and Penguin, Washington and Pittsburgh, I asked them, I said, who's going to be the starting goaltenders for each team come uh-huh. playoff time? And, and we both agreed. It's like, I'm not sure. Yeah. So now I think it's kind of worked out in Washington where it looks like Holpe, in my opinion, will probably end up being a guy. I don't know if that's the case in Pittsburgh. Jonesy, maybe you got a better feel for it. But, you know, yeah, obviously tough times in the Berg right now. I, I personally would start Matt Murray, but I, I do think yeah. one thing you touched on there, Edsel, makes a lot of sense. When trade deadlines come, and you've had a team that's really overachieved at times during the season when Crosby was out of the sure. lineup, when Malkin was out of the lineup, Latang was out of the lineup, you had different players step up and provide the Penguins with some really consistent play, Mike Sullivan's style of play. So now you bring in all these new faces and some of those guys that were starting to feel like they were pretty important uh, start to feel a little bit uh, less confident in themselves and they can push them down a little bit. So it's a concern at times in my career. I've witnessed it where players who were doing a really good job uh, were passed over by players that were brought in at the trade deadline and the team dips for a little while. I think they're going to figure it out. I know that uh, Brian Dumoulin's very close to returning. Mm-hmm. That will change things on the back end. Marino also has turned into a very good player for him. Uh, for the Penguins, apparently he is close to returning as well. So their blue line should be improved quickly. And also losing 5 nothing to San Jose at this time of the year really is an eye-opener. Yeah. So there's not a Penguin player that's coming away from that game saying we're okay. And sometimes a little bit of fear goes a long way in getting your team back on track. So I would expect them to get better quickly. Listen, you can't feel good about it. I think the only way you can sort of look at a silver lining is that the timing's not terrible, right? They still have the stretch run to get right. I think mm-hmm. this is, you know, maybe an eye-opener, especially that last loss. Uh, health-wise for their stars, Crosby, you mentioned Crosby, you mentioned Malkin, you mentioned Latang. right now all healthy. And I feel a little bit differently about this. If Sidney Crosby had been absolutely lighting up these teams and producing and they were still losing. But to me, if Crosby suddenly is producing a little bit more, they get a few wins here. At yeah. least they get a point out of one of these, one or two of these games. I feel differently about this. I feel like Pittsburgh's probably going to get right. The matchup's going to be interesting because it's probably going to be Philadelphia. But if they slip to the wild card, you're talking about potentially Washington or, of course, Boston maybe in the first round, which would be really interesting. Either way, it looks like 
Pittsburgh is headed back to the playoffs. And it looks like in the West, the Chicago Blackhawks are going to once again miss the playoffs. And last week, Pierre Maguire sat down with Blackhawks GM. This conversation took place just after the trade deadline. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What a pleasure. Stan Bowman, general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks. Three-time Stanley Cup winner, but the Bowman legacy. How many cups is it all together? Don't count your dad's three with Chicago. Okay, well then, you, so I think it would be down to 14 then. I think you'd be right. He yeah. would be right. That's sure. good. I was doing that because I wanted you to get mad at you. Let's talk about being Scotty Bowman's son, first sure. of all. What's that like? Well, it's all I know. So I get that question a lot, and I didn't know anything differently. So when I grew up, hockey was my life, and it was important to him, obviously, to to keep the kids around the game, and I would I remember back when I was a little kid, I would follow him around, and I loved to just kind of stand in the background and listen when he would talk. He would talk to you. I remember back in the days before the internet, and um, he would just make phone calls all the time, and he would call and want to talk about the game or talk about players, and I would just kind of stand over there and just listen. I loved to just listen and soak up the information. So uh, I didn't know anything different as, as a kid, and he's my dad. I see him differently probably than everyone else does, but... Uh, I think, you know, once he stopped coaching, people saw that different side of Scotty that obviously you know, working closely with him. So um, it's, been, it's been fun. You were a high achiever academically. Canisius High School, you go to Notre Dame. When did you decide, you know what, maybe I want to go into the hockey business? The first time I actually talked about it was, um, it was on my way back to Buffalo uh, we had gone, it was my freshman year at Notre Dame, and that was the year that the Penguins played the Blackhawks in the mm -hmm. Stanley Cup Final. 1992. That's right. So uh, I finished my first year, and I was, I was the only one of the siblings that actually got to go to the final. I was there when won the Cup, and um, so we were driving back. My mom and I were driving back, and we were talking about my first year at Notre Dame and how it went and what I was interested in, and I said, you know, someday it would be really neat to work in hockey, and I'd love to work with Dad. And... So she, she questioned me. She said, I didn't even know you wanted to do that. You never talked about mm -hmm. being a coach. And I said, I don't think I want to be a coach, though. That's not really my thing. Um, I don't have that 
skill set or that personality to be a coach. Uh, but I said, I think down the road someday I'd like to find my way to hockey. So uh, nothing really happened after that. I went, went along, finished school, got a job in Chicago mm-hmm. working in the business world. And then four or five years into it, um, I liked what I was doing. It was fun at the time. I was doing consulting, computer consulting. But I wasn't really passionate about it. I wanted to try something different. And I just applied to a bunch of teams. And actually, the Blackhawks were one of the ones that responded. Mike Smith was the general manager and mm-hmm. brought me in. And uh, kind of the rest is history. You were there from the beginning. You were there in 02 when Duncan Keith got drafted. You were there in 03 when Seabrook and Corey Crawford got drafted. 05, Nicholas Jalmerson. 06, you know, you look at Jonathan Taves, third overall. Then 07 is the monster load. You get Patrick Kane. You were there right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. When did you know the plan was going to work? Well, there were some tough years there in the beginning. If you go back and look from 2000 to mm-hmm. 2005, 6, 7, pretty lean years there. So, uh, you know, you're always hopeful. I think there was a lot of um, there was a lot of promise. We had a lot of these young players who we were high on. I think most teams are pretty high on their young players. I think that's across the board. You get excited about when you have a lot of draft picks and you think they're going to turn out. Um, obviously, that everything changed when... Taves and Kane came together. You know, obviously, we drafted Jonathan the one year. He went back to school for a year. Mm-hmm. Then we drafted Patrick, and then they came onto the scene together. Our team had started to improve like, the year before with Seabrook and Keith there, but it was still uh, a team that was struggling. And that first year for Jonathan and Patrick, we didn't make the playoffs, but we were in it right until about the end of March. And that was much different than the previous years where we were really not competitive. Uh, and then the next year is when we, we took a big, big step forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, we uh, not only made the playoffs, we went to the, the semifinal. Mm-hmm. And then the, the third year uh, for Patrick and Jonathan is when we won the Cup. So I think you saw signs of it that first their rookie year. The two guys came in together, and they were. You know, we had this plan, I remember, in the summer where Johnny was going to be our third-line center. We were going to work him in slowly, not put too much of a load on him, and, uh, you know, a uh, month or two into the season, he's playing uh, close to our top line. And Patrick was Rookie of the Month in October, right out of the gate. There was a question, is he going to go to London? Is he going to stay for 10 games? Um, and not only did he stay for the 10 games, he, he was Rookie of the Month, and it just kind of went from there. Do you uh, rem- Everybody's got a Stanley Cup moment the first time you win it. You know, I remember the first time I was fortunate enough to win it. Mm-hmm. What was yours? Well, it's it's the famous goal now, the goal that nobody knew if it went in. So we're in Philadelphia. <laughs> Patrick Kane in yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. The overtime uh, game, and, you know, you're, there's so much tension at time. You know, it's uh, it's game six, and, you know, we've been a tough series. We, we played really well at home. We hadn't played very well in Philadelphia. Um, but if you're thinking in your head, if this goes back to Chicago, it's one game. Anything can happen in one game. Uh, so it gets to overtime. Um, there's obviously a lot of tension in overtime because one shot could be the difference. And then you see Patrick shoot it, and he goes around, and he's throwing his gloves. And we're looking at each other like <laughs> – and I remember thinking to myself, the goal scorers, they don't make that mistake. I mean, there's no way that he would react that way. Mm-hmm. But there's <laughs> that was the weird part about it. You don't really know. So there was this big delay, and then finally, you know, they, they tell you it's a goal, and then there's the – rush to get to the elevator to get down to the ice and it was a pretty a moment you won't ever forget you touched the cup before because your father had won it so many times i gotta believe you touched it before yes. before 2010 i had so when you touch it it's one thing 
when you lift it over your head, it's another. It is. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. I mean, I remember it like it happened yesterday. Right. And because it's something you play over in your mind from the time you're little is wondering what it would be like. You know, first, when you're little, you think you're going to raise it as a player. And then, you know, time goes on. You realize you're not a good enough player to ever play professionally. And you still think maybe I can find a way to raise the cup a different way. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, I remember it just like it happened last night. Did your dad ever give you any advice during the final that first year in particular because it was a tight series with Philadelphia that you're talking about? I know how good he is in those situations. Did he ever say anything to you? Well, most of the advice he gave was more tactical at that point. He was still dialed in trying to help us find a way to beat uh, the Flyers. And I think, um, you know, Pronger was such a force back then. And I think, you know, Bufflin really um, made a big difference in that series. And I think I remember uh, my dad and Joel had spoken and just, um, you know, they made, they made a few changes here and there. And it was that, that's the kind of advice. He didn't really give any, any advice about what it's like to win the cup or any of that stuff. That's, it was more in the moment talking about the actual next game or, you know, he likes to break down the details as a coach. So it was more tactical advice. How hard was it to break up that team after you won the first time? Because you're just a new general manager. Right. That's got to be a different load to handle. How was that? <laughs> well, it was very hard. Like we, when we sat down that summer, so we knew in August um, as we were looking ahead to the season, we knew that, we were going to have to move a ton of guys the way the salary cap was. And we had all these players who were about to get new contracts. So we would have had done the same moves even if we missed the playoffs. And I remember I had hired Kevin Chevalier off as my assistant. And uh, so we interviewed him, and he started, like, in early August. And I remember, like, his first day he came in, and we talked about the team. And he had looked at our team from a distance before his interview. But then we sat down, and I went through it. I said, okay, well, now that you're here, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to shed all these players. And he looks at me like, wow, really? <laughs> we're going to have to do that? I said, we're going to have to do that whether we win two games this year or we win the cup. We have to do it because that's the way the system. We had a, we had a, a luxury. We had all these really talented young players that were not making any money, but they were about to graduate to their next contract. We had a bunch of them at the same time. So there was no way we were going to make the math work. So uh, I guess to me it was almost fitting that we did have to dismantle it but at least we did that having won a championship together and that's something that you never forget because you know you, you walk together with that group mm -hmm. forever you know I remember those guys and it was certainly a challenge because we were we win the cup and you only have a, a week or two before the draft where you have to you have to call every GM and basically it's sort of an auction you're saying well here's the five or six guys that you know we're going to have to move them and you're you're trying to play it cool, saying, like, oh, we don't have to move these guys, but, you know, we, we might be. And I knew in my mind we're not going to be able to trade anybody because everyone knows that you're in a tough spot. And um, so you're, you're trying to pass it off as if, you know, you'll, you'll see what you do. But we knew we had five or six guys we had to move. Um, so at the moment we, we had our celebration, you have the parade, and then the next day it's back in the office and you're trying to get that done before the draft. That's one kind of pressure. Right. This is another kind of pressure. Your team made the playoffs against St. Louis right in this building. You lose a game seven. Next year you play Nashville. You get swept in four. Mm -hmm. You haven't been in the playoffs since. So it's a different kind of pressure now. Sure. How are you retooling the Chicago Blackhawk team to get to where I know the organization wants to be? Right. We, we know what it's like to be on top. Certainly we had a great run, and I think um, you know we want to get back there. And it's... 
it almost makes it harder when you have success and then you don't have it because you know what it feels like to be a really top team. And we got to get ourselves back to that point. So I wish it was a, uh, a quick plan to do it. But I think what you have to do is you have to build through young players. I think this is a, a league that's getting younger and younger. Um, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you acquire young talent? Nobody hands it to you. You can't just go to the store and pick up some really good you know, 18 or 19-year-old kids. You've got to find those assets. So can you trade for them? Can you acquire them through the draft? Can you find free agents? Um, you know, there has to be a measure of patience, which I know doesn't go over really well in our society today. Everyone wants it mm-hmm. right now. Um, we still have some talented veteran players who have been there when we won. They know what it takes to win, so they have um, good leadership qualities. They have good experience on winning. Um, and then we have some talented young players. We need to try to get some more of those so that we can support the rest of the group. And I think for a long time we had um, a ton of talent relative to some of our competitors. Now that we've seen the cap system play out over a 10-plus year stretch of time, I think you see the, the talent is kind of distributed now mm-hmm. across the league. Um, so we don't have that advantage that we used to have. And now you have to find ways to get players. And I think um, that's the biggest challenge we have right now, which is uh, finding those high-value players that, you know, we got one last year in the draft. We got a great fortune. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we were 12th, and we won the lottery to move up to three. Doc's a good player. Kirby Kirby's Doc's a very nice player. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have got him at the 12th spot. No <laughs> so you, ha- you have to have some luck as well. Uh, the year before that, we picked Adam Boquist. We mm-hmm. hadn't picked in the top 10 in, I don't know, 10 years. And we finally... So we have two good young players, um, but you need more than two players for a team. We've got some veteran guys as well that are still, I mean, Patrick's on pace for almost another 100-point season, which is hard to believe. Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. he just keeps, he's having his best years in his 30s, which is, uh, uh, we'll take it. It's un- unusual mm-hmm. in any sport to see a guy continue to ramp up his game. Uh, and Jonathan had a bounce-back year last year as well. Mm-hmm. So th- those two guys... Um, you know, although they're in their 30s now, they're still capable of giving us really good hockey. We've just got to try to support around them, and I think that's, the, that's been the challenge the last couple of years. Speaking of challenges, you've had some health challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a cancer survivor. You fought through it. You beat it not just once but twice. That's right. What's the key to doing that? I think if you break it up into smaller chunks, you can, you can get through it. And what I mean is when you know, I was first diagnosed, um, you know, I was in my early 30s. You find out you have Hodgkin's lymphoma, and, you know, you're scared. You don't know what to make of it. And I remember everyone telling me at the time, oh, well, that's the good cancer. That's the one that's you know, really high cure rate, no problem. Don't worry about it. You do your treatment, and you'll be fine. So I did. I did the six months of chemo and got the clean bill of health. And, and then about three or four months later, it came back right away. And then you start talking to the doctor, and they're like, well... This isn't ideal. You know, it's, this isn't supposed to happen. And when it happens that quickly, you have to step up the treatment. You have to have a transplant. So then you're in the hospital for about a month. And, um, you know, they, they really kind of attack your body. And it's, it's a tough process to go through. So you start to wonder, how do I do it? How am I going to get myself through this again? And the best advice someone gave me was, you just got to just focus on today. Yeah, you've got a long road ahead of you, and you've got a lot of procedures you're going to go through. You've got a lot of treatment you're going to have to go through. Um, if you try to manage that all in your mind, 
today, you're never going to get through your treatment today. So just just stay in the moment. Uh, don't get ahead of yourself. And you know, it's like the old thing: you take one step at a time. And um, you know, fortunate for me, it's been it's been great ever since. And you go through those struggles, and you, I had a young family at the time; they're little kids, and you know, they don't know what's going on. Their dad's not around, and everyone's going to the hospital to visit them. So it's um, now I talk to my, my son now, he's 14, he doesn't even remember when, he was like two That's years old. That's Cameron. Yeah, Cam. He doesn't even really remember that time. Will's a little bit older, so he remembers what it was like with, uh, you know, and there's a lot of emotion at that time. People are coming and crying, and these kids are just watching and not understanding what's happening, but they see their parents aren't doing so well, so they get worried. So Will's at Deerfield. He is. And uh, that's the first time your children or one of your child, mm-hmm. uh, child had left the house. What's that like as a father to have your son away playing a hockey, not in Chicago, but somewhere else? It's been hard. You get so used to when they're little kids in youth hockey. You, even though I travel a lot, I still you get to You go to games. I've seen you games. I see them at as, as many games as I could go yes. to. It's been a challenge this year. You don't get to uh, mm-hmm. be there. And I think, you know, when they get to be teenagers and, you know, he's uh, 17 now, you have to kind of let them, you let them go a little bit mm-hmm. and you have to give them a chance to spread their wings and take ownership of their life and um, you know, the distance I think is probably good for them to, to become independent and he's always been a very independent kid and mature kid so I wasn't worried about him being able to handle being away from home. It's probably harder on the mom and dad not seeing him all the time because he's, uh, he's always like, I travel a lot. Obviously with this job you're not home very much to help out. Uh, your wife and kids, and so he kind of took on that role as the as the one to be the right hand man for my wife Sue, and uh, I think it was hard originally, but now we're happy for him. He's uh, he's loving life. He's uh, meet a whole new group of friends, a different experience being on your own, um, and um, still enjoying playing hockey. So the trade deadline. Let's get to the trade deadline. Just passed. You moved Robin Leonard. Mm-hmm. First of all, you deserve a lot of plaudits for bringing Robin Leonard sure. in. Sure. And now you moved them along. Could you take us through the mindset of why that happened? Yeah, well, we, we brought in Robin last summer, and um, you know, we were excited to get him to come. Uh, you know, at first, we weren't sure he was going to want to come on a one-year deal, mm-hmm. uh, but I think he wanted to try to prove that what he did in New York last year was, wasn't was uh, aberration, that he could build on it. And he's, he was dynamite for us all year long. Um, I think the we had two really good goalies. So if you rewind a little bit, the two previous years, we had good starts, and then you know Corey got hurt both times, yeah. and it really set us back. And it ultimately, it hurt us having a chance to be a competitive team in the end. So we wanted to try to mitigate that. Um, fortunately, Corey's been healthy all year, which has been great, uh, and they've been a great tandem. Um, but the the hard part of our my job is that I'm always balancing the present day with the future, and. Uh, when you have a player, Robin was one of them, Eric Gustafson was the other one. When you have players who their contracts are expiring, they're unrestricted free agents, if you don't have them under contract and you know, you're not going to be signing them or it appears like you might not be signing them, then you have to weigh uh, that one window of time when you can still get value for them. Uh, and ultimately, that's why we did it. It's a hard decision to make, and uh, I got a chance to get to know Robin last summer during the process when we were courting him, I guess you could call it, um, you know, other teams were talking to him and he was a really fascinating guy. Um, I'm really, really been impressed with what kind of person he is and really thoughtful, 
Um, he's got a great perspective on things and really intelligent. So that makes the decision even harder. And um, certainly no animosity or hard feelings at all. It was more of just a managing our assets type decision. But uh, I talked to him yesterday, and we had a good talk, and I wish him well. I mean, he's one of the guys you root for. He's a, he's a tremendous goalie, first and foremost, but uh, be above that, he's a, he's a unique guy. And I got to know him, and uh, we're going to miss him. We're right at the end here. So I'm going to say a player's name. First thing that comes to your mind, Patrick Kane. Skill. Jonathan Taves. Determined. So far, Marion Hossa. Complete. Bobby Orr. The best. He's right. You are right, Stan. That was awesome. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. By the way, named after the Stanley Cup, Stanley Bowman. That's right. <laughs> okay, I did say the Chicago Blackhawks are probably going to miss the postseason, yeah. and I do believe that they are not completely out of it. You look at the standings in the Western Conference, and this wild card race is interesting. It's tightly bunched right now. Chicago, Edzo's on the way to the game against the Ducks tonight. If they win tonight, they're potentially, potentially four points out, but Nashville is playing Minnesota tonight. Someone's picking up points there, potentially both teams if it goes to overtime. Minnesota just won't go away. Arizona is hanging around. They have 72 points. Winnipeg has 72 points, even points-wise with Nashville. And then in that top wild card, it's Vancouver, tightly bunched with the Pacific Division. So you look at this Western wild card race as it stands right now. Is there a team that you would... Consider a bubble team that you feel confident in saying they're going to get in, Jones. I don't feel confident in any of them. I think they all have weaknesses. And watching Nashville last night against Edmonton, I was hoping in the third period when it was 3-3 that Nashville was starting to figure things out. But their goaltending, as Edzo talked about earlier, was atrocious. And that's something that Nashville is going to need if they're going to hang in there and continue to fight for the playoffs. I think they would be a dangerous playoff team if they make it, but there's no guarantee there. Arizona with Darcy Kemper back in the mix now, I think improves their chances. Uh, games in hand are not uh, a benefit for them. They're giving up games to every team that's around them. Uh, but they have enough there, and I think they're defensively good enough that they could make some noise. If I had to pick one team that's not in right now that I think could get there, it would be Arizona. But it's a long stretch, and it's hard to find any real confidence in any of the f- um, five or six teams that we're looking there right now. Edzo, Edzo, confident in any of these teams? Wow. Look, that, I don't, that, I don't know pause, where. I don't, that pause I, says a lot. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where. Like, I don't know where Jacob Markstrom is, uh, the goaltender for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, he's banged up. Uh, but I, I would look at Vancouver as is the one wild card team right now. And again, they're only one point behind Calgary. I think yep. four going into tonight's action with Edmonton. Like, I look at Vancouver and like I, I think that they would, to me. I'd be shocked if Vancouver doesn't make it with the other teams that are behind them, right? They all got blemishes. They all got holes. Nashville, Winnipeg, Arizona, Minnesota, Chicago, San Jose's not making it. So, I mean, there you are, right? I mean, one of those teams is going to make it. So, I think Vancouver is in. I don't know what Jonesy thinks. But when you look at between Nashville, Winnipeg, Arizona, Minnesota, Chicago, you got to look at, A, which team is going to get the goaltending that you have the confidence in to get the goaltending. So, that would be, for me, automatically it would be Winnipeg, 
Arizona and Chicago, just with the way that the season has gone from start to now. And then you look at, okay, well, which team can play defense enough? And then which team can go ahead and have the ability to put, put the puck in the back of the net. I'm worried about Nashville. Like I saw Nashville earlier in the year and I thought, man, oh man, these guys got a chance at winning the division. That's how good they were. And they've not gotten a goaltending as we touched on earlier. Jonesy just made reference of. So for me, Vancouver's in. And then go ahead and roll the dice and go, yeah, I can see them. I can see them. Yes, I can see them. Yes, I can see them. It's wide open. Well, but let, I go Vancouver, Liam. Let, go me, Vancouver. let me flip it around. So let's just say Vancouver gets in, and I think it's either Vancouver or Calgary for that top wild card spot, and then the other team is the third position in the Pacific. Right now, Vancouver actually has games in hand on Calgary. So let's just say both those teams get in. One's the three yeah. in the Pacific, yeah. the other is the top wild card. And let's say St. Louis it could, be, it could be Colorado easily, uh, but let's say St. Louis is the top seed in the West. And you look at these other teams. You look at Nashville, Winnipeg, Arizona, Minnesota. If you are St. Louis, which one of those teams do you not want to face in the first it, round? It's Nashville because they've beat St. Louis all four times this year. I mean, that's there's no question that Nashville matches up well against the Blues. Now, when there's a lot more on the line, and we're talking playoffs, you, you have to give an advantage to St. Louis based upon what they did last year. But uh, they would not be jumping up and down to play the Nashville Predators. And part of that would be that Nashville has a lot of depth, and they also have a superstar defenseman in Roman Yossi on the back end that now has some company with Ryan Ellis back in the lineup. So I don't think St. Louis would be wanting to Tough play Tough place Nashville. to play road games in Very, the playoffs as well. They can really get going in there as well, and they can get pretty charged up. And it looks to me at times Nashville doesn't mind playing a physical game. I think we saw that in Hockey Day in America yeah. where they went at it you know, head toe-to-toe. But in that game, Nashville got goaltending. That has not exactly. been a story all year. For Tough now, team so. to figure out. But, Edzo, would you agree? Would you say that that's the team St. Louis wouldn't want to play? Yeah, I, I, I would I would concur. I mean, I would even throw Winnipeg in into their Jonesy, like maybe a 1A next to Nashville from the aspect of they got Connor Hellebuck, who is a pretty damn good goaltender. I know their defense has been dismantled since – the beginning of the year with free agency and trades and big buff uh, stepping away, but they got some guys up front that can really go. They got it. They got some physical players there up front. Uh, I think that would be one hell of a series. I, I really do. I mean, remember last year, St. Louis beat Winnipeg, but St. Louis won the first two games in Winnipeg, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. And then Winnipeg went to St. Louis and won the next two games. Right. And the series was two, two with the best of three. And eventually St. Louis won. So um, I, Winnipeg's an interesting team to me. I mean, it just their defense, right? Like yeah. that's the biggest question mark. But again, I go back to it. What, what teams don't have blemishes that are going to be that second wild card team, right? You can poke a hole in every single team. So uh, I, I would agree with Jonesy, though. Nashville would certainly be one, but I would put Winnipeg in there as a 1A. Edzo, great stuff as always. Have an excellent call tonight. We're going to clip your best moments from this. We're going to send it right over to the Today Show folks. Jimmy Fallon. Jonesy's going to make this happen. He's going to book down some He'll big shows. He'll be there, buddy. He'll be there. Yep, from our line starts to the bright lights of Broadway. Edzo, you'll be there, buddy. I'll make sure I bring my A suit if it happens. Thanks, boys. Keep up the great work, all right? We'll see you soon. See all you. right. That'll do it for another episode of Our Line Starts. You can remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday. Subscribe for automatic downloads wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you next time.